Hello, I'm Hannah Kaplan, and this is the WCS Wild Audio Podcast, where you'll find reported audio stories covering the latest news and newsmakers from the WCS's Global Conservation Program, Zoos and Aquarium, and their partners. We've got a great show today, so let's get to it. WCS researchers are about to embark on a two-year study of SARS-CoV-2 infection in wildlife and the potential transmission between people, wildlife, and domestic dogs in Alaska. Working closely with indigenous communities, the team is on a mission to better understand the overlap between human, environmental, and animal health. In doing so, they can get a better sense of the big picture of how pathogens develop, jump between species, and ultimately, how we can avoid the next global pandemic. Hannah Kaplan has a story. SARS-CoV-2 is here and it's not going away. It came from wildlife and it's spilled over into people. So there's a strong interest in making sure we have better eyes on what's happening and what species SARS-CoV-2 is spilling into. That's Sarah Olson, Director of Health Research at the Wildlife Conservation Society Health Program. She'll be overseeing this ambitious project, working with Alaskan colleagues, communities, and Indigenous peoples who rely on wildlife for food and economic security. The overlap between the Global WCS Health and the WCS Arctic Berinsha Program, based in Alaska, is mutually beneficial. It allows WCS to work within existing networks, established through decades of on-the-ground conservation, and importantly, helps ensure full tribal and community engagement and the development of locally specific protocols and reporting. Indigenous knowledge of the environment here is critical to the findings of this project, providing a win-win for communities and wildlife. We do know that there's a lot of hunter harvest and subsistence use of wildlife in these regions. And there's really interesting interfaces, too, that we don't see in other parts of the world. And so we're going to be working with communities and piloting how do you build these sentinel surveillance systems They have a lot of traditional ecological knowledge. We do find something, you know, that they can say, well, that makes sense. This species and this species, uh, this is how we interact with them. And this is maybe how that the species came down with SARS-CoV-2 and how we found it in in this animal. We want to support the communities and give them the tools they need so that they understand what's in their food and that they're managing those risks and informed and can be, you know, involved in, in the whole process. Sarah's team will be taking regular samples from domestic dogs, rodents, human wastewater, and wildlife that subsistence hunters rely on. The concern is that spillover can go both ways. For example, humans passing SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, to pets or wildlife, and for wildlife as carriers of pathogens that jump to humans. For a hunter butchering a deer, for example, the risk is obvious. Underpinning all of this is the One Health model an approach that seeks to look at the bigger picture, not just human health. This model asks what might be happening in air quality, soil biomes, livestock, and wildlife that could be directly linked to public health. But, she says a big part of the challenge is encouraging different sectors of health research to view their work as interlinked. How do we get you know, the sector, the, the domestic and livestock sector to work better with the human health sector. And for us as a conservation organization, really bringing the message that environmental health is foundational to sustainability and all life on earth. How do we take care and manage wildlife health so that they're not stressed out and shedding these viruses into an environment where they could land in a person or they could land in a domestic animal? 
you could treat the, the sick patient or you could prevent the patient from getting sick in the first place. Sarah gives the example of Hendra, a fast-moving virus transmitted to humans from bats droppings. Left untreated, Hendra can cause meningitis, coma, and even death. And in the hunt to find the connection between bats and Hendra, researchers came across a simple but game-changing link, nectar-producing trees. Researchers noticed that human Hendra cases went up at times when trees were in flowering, producing the nectar that bats feed on. When the trees were in full flower, cases went down. They deduced that the lack of nectar at certain points of the year meant bats were forced to hunt for food closer to humans and their livestock, both of which are a perfect host for the Hendra virus. That cost of like basically making sure bats have flowering trees is so much more affordable than you know spinning up funding for vaccines and all these testing. Let's let's just prevent it from you know the trillions and trillions of dollars that these these spillover costs. Let's just plant some trees for some bats. I mean that sounds pretty affordable to me. As a result of the pandemic, we are increasingly aware of the way in which wild animals serve as an incubator for new pathogens. What's more. Offers like forests, which protect pathogens from spreading to humans, are shrinking, which means humans and virus-carrying species are coming into closer contact. Many epidemiologists feel that we are pushing these natural pandemic protection mechanisms to the brink. RNA viruses in particular are always making mistakes when they copy and they make copies of themselves. And so there's always this potential that they develop new capabilities and you make you know make animals more sick make us more sick potentially you know it's that new variance but that's why we need to keep an eye on this pathogen to understand how it's mutating what species it's jumping into how frequently sarah feels there's so much more to do in this space to catch up with the public health research being done elsewhere how do we create something that doesn't exist so it's it's about human health but it's also about creating these systems to keep an eye on on wildlife health. It's just starting to bring greater equity when it comes to health surveillance for the wildlife sector and to try to catch it up a little bit to, to livestock and human health. Sarah's next steps are a series of meetings with Alaskan communities to introduce the project and begin listening in order to co-create surveillance. Everything from protocols on how to take samples from a deer kill to leveraging resources to benefit overall community health and to protect everyone from another emergence event like SARS-CoV-2. They're working with hunter-harvested samples and they're doing some diagnostics when the hunter's like, hey, this looks a little bit strange. So it's taking them to the next level, but we can definitely leverage from their expertise to bring that knowledge to some other communities. I think we're, we're really excited to you know, find some local leaders for this work in the community and at the state level. I think it would be great if we could tap some students or uh, postdocs to lead this from, from the indigenous communities. You know, you, you get the funding and then once it lands, that's when the creative fun starts, right? <laughs> this research on the very front line of the overlap between human and animal health, is critical at a time when the impacts of pathogen spillover have shaped so many aspects of the world we now live in. We'll be checking back in on Sarah and her team to share updates from the research as it continues. For WCS Wild Audio, I'm Hannah Kaplan. Today's episode was produced and reported by Hannah Kaplan with help from Dan Rosen and Nat Moss. The WCS Wild Audio Podcast is a production of the Wildlife Conservation Society. Please join us next week for a new episode, and don't forget to rate or review the show wherever you get your podcasts. 